patristic is early church fathers. Um, he's, he's big, like when you read his commentary on Matthew, it's like, there'll be like that much text and then the rest of the page is like footnotes, 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 footnotes. And he's, he's very, very uh, detailed in what he does, but he's actually a charismatic. And um, he, he wrote a book called The Gift and the Giver. And as, a, as kind of a, a bridge between what we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week, he says this, For many people today, hearing God's voice, spirit-empowered evangelism, and spiritual gifts are exciting topics. Oftentimes, we do not consider the fruit of the Spirit to be as exciting, uh, as exciting or supernatural as if we could manifest them on our own. But no matter how much purely human works may look like the Spirit's fruit outwardly, the motives and power behind them are often quite different. Other people are more excited about various ethical questions of our day, but vital as these are, ultimately, we will never purify the church ethically and morally without the power of God's spirit working in his church. For, the ma- for that matter, we will never achieve victory in our own struggles if we do not learn to depend, up- depend on what God in Christ does in us by his spirit. And I think that's a good quote because it's talking about, um, uh, it's kind of bridging the gap between the Holy Spirit and, and what, he, what, uh, what we were talking about last week and how he always going to use his gifts and some, some of those things like that and what we're going to talk about this week. And as we begin this week, um, we need to remind ourselves of our definition uh, that we're working with when it comes to the Spirit and the work of the Spirit. The definition, again, is the work of the Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially the church. Now, I just want to put up here, I'm going to try to use the board a little bit more today so you guys can see some stuff, some issues. And I need my wife to do something for me. Could you sign me up for a remedial writing class? Because <laughs> as I look at my writing, I'm like, oh, man, it's terrible. So, all right, let's get us started today. If you guys um, can think about what the last two weeks we introduced the subject to the class. And last week we spoke about the topic of the spirit giving power for service. Now, are there any questions about anything that we've covered so far? Any questions? Okay, just let's keep moving on. Uh, moving on to this week's topic, we're going to cover two aspects of the work of the Spirit, two things that the Spirit does. The two things are He purifies and He unifies. Okay, so the two issues are one, He purifies, and two, He unifies. And again, if you can't read that, just let me know. And if I spell something wrong, please tell me, because I might spell a lot of things wrong. I'm terrible at spelling. Um, now, here's, here's a question for you. What adjective, this is a setup question. You guys will all know the answer to this, so I want to see all, everybody's hands going up. What is the adjective at the beginning of this particular name? Holy Spirit. What's the adjective? There you go! She got it! Okay. Holy. Okay. Since the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, and he, he's called the Holy Spirit, it's not surprising that one of the primary activities is to cleanse us from sin and to sanctify us or to make us more holy in our actual life and in actual conduct. Now, here's another question. What does it mean to be sanctified or holy? I'm sorry? Set apart? I'm sorry? Sealed? Anybody else? Anybody else? Turn to John 17.
John 17, verses 15 and on. Does anybody want to read John 17 for us? Uh, Down through verse 15, down through verse 19. So sanctification comes from two Latin words. The first word is sanctus, which means holy, and uh, facare, which means, uh, uh, which means to make. And the, the, the word holy is defined as kodesh. Now I'm going to try to write in Hebrew. If you think my English is bad, my Hebrew is worse. Okay, so. It's going to be terrible, so it's a good thing that I am... That, actually, if you can believe it, that's the Hebrew word kadosh, okay? And that is uh, the Old Testament word for holy. And in the New Testament, it's the word agios. I'm terrible at writing. All right. So those are the two words that are used in the Bible primarily for the word holy. Um, And holy properly means to make entire or perfect and in a moral sense, uh, uh, something pure in heart to a pure in temper, disposition or free from any sin or sinful desires. Now, that's what the spirit is trying to do with us as believers. We've already been set free. We've already been taken out of our sin. But even with um, unbelievers, there's a, a restraining influence that the Holy Spirit has as he convicts the world of sin. Turn to John chapter 16. One chapter back. John 16, verses 8 through 11. Does anyone want to read John 16, 8 through 11? And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. King James. Love King Jimmy. Um, it's, it's, it's something to, to understand that, that he's going to, I, I actually should have had you start in verse 5. It says, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And then he says, and he will come and he'll convict the world of sin and judgment. And it, it's a better thing for the Holy Spirit to go because when we are ha- for Jesus to go, because when we have the Holy Spirit in us, he's going to be the one that's going to purify us. But he's also going to be the one that's going to purify the world. And it's something that uh, the, the influence of the spirit on the people that are around that are unbelievers is going to be felt just because of the work that he does and the power that he has being God. Turn to Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter 7, verse uh, 51 through 53. Does anyone want, anybody want to read verses 51 through 
three. If I, if I can pick on somebody, uh, Mr. Chris, would you like to read it? And yet did not keep it. We can see from Scripture that the Spirit is active in the lives of all the unbelievers here. Um, but when people become Christians, the Holy Spirit does an initial, uh, a first cleansing work in them. And they make a decisive break um, with the patterns that were in their lives before. Did anybody, can anybody attest to that? Uh, can you attest to the fact that you were living one way? God saved you. You set yourself, he set you on the right course. And then you, your life took a different direction. I know I can say that. I mean, I was uh, my my life was filled with a, a, a lot of blasphemy, a lot of bad words coming out of my mouth, a lot of wrong thoughts that I still fight with a lot of times. But I can say that who I was and who I am are two drastically different people. You know, if you guys could see who I was and look inside my head back then, you would be afraid of me. But who God has made me is is a wonderful person. Anybody else have a testimony like that? Anybody that would like to share? Go ahead. <laughs> Come on, share with us, share with us. Just <laughs> but I mean, that, but that's what God does. I mean, you know, he'll take, it, when people always ask that, when you're out evangelizing, you'll, you'll, people say, well, Adolf Hitler was a Christian, was he saved? Well, you got to look at the question you're asking. If Adolf Hitler was a Christian, was he saved? Yes. If he repented and he trusted in Christ on his, on his deathbed or in the bunker or right over before he died, if he's a Christian, yes, he's saved because God can take the worst, vilest, crazy lunatic. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Save them, turn them around and have them do his work. I mean, that's a beautiful thing in, in God that we have. Uh, somebody turn to 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. I'm going to call on somebody. Uh, K-Dub, would you like to read that for me? He's reading out of the uh, English Standard Version, so all of you who are not Reformed, it won't sound like your Bibles. He's got the true Reformed Bible here. <laughs> it says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Verse 11, again, I'll say, such were some of you. Now, that verse in itself is a great apologetic verse to use when you're talking to people who want to get into different kind of lifestyles and things like that. But for our talk today, it says, but such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. That's, so that's something that's past tense. We've already been sanctified, but we're in the process of being sanctified and also will be uh, ultimately sanctified in glory. Um, this cleansing and purifying work of the Holy Spirit is apparently what is symbolized when Jesus says, I'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Does anybody want to read that? Mr. Juan, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew three eleven, not the whole chapter. Than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. 
He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And with fire. Now, you'll hear, yes, ma'am. When are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? When are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? You're baptized with the Holy Spirit at conversion. The, there's a difference in the Bible between the baptism work of the Holy Spirit, which happens at conversion when you trust in Christ, and the filling of the Spirit, which is something that can happen repeatedly, uh, continuously over and over again. It says in Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit, where it says that, you know that passage? Um, and it's talking about being continually kept over and over, being filled with the Spirit. That's a re- repeated thing. It, it can, uh, but, but the feeling of the Spirit is more when you let your life go, when you lay your life down, and you're not worried about your own interests, you're not worried about doing your own thing, but the concerns of God are prevalent on your mind, you want to do God's will, that's when you're going to be filled with the Spirit. So the baptism of the Spirit takes place when you accept Jesus into your life? Yeah, turn to, everybody turn to 1 Corinthians 12. This was actually going to come up a little bit later, but we can, we'll read this right now. It's no problem. Um, again, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he's talking about spiritual gifts to the Corinthians. And, and, in, and in chapter 12, he's just setting the, the boundaries and the parameters of what gifts are, where they come from, and things like that. But then when you get to uh, verse 13, let's start at verse 12. For even as the body is one, so there's one body. The body so that he's talking about the body of Christ. It's one. Okay, Old Testament or old, old times to new times to future times, one body. Um, and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. So Christ is one for by one spirit were we all baptized. Now he's talking to the church in Corinth. All of the believers there, they were all baptized. And the only time that that could happen again, because you've got this talk about gifts going on. It's not a matter of I get the gift uh, when I pray for the spirit and I speak in tongues or anything like that. It's when they were when they believed in Christ, they were filled with the spirit Uh, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all uh, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So that's the baptism of the spirit happens at conversion. When you when you trust Christ, when your faith and your hope and your you know that you got nothing in you that can save you at all. But you know that Christ has done it all. You're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, usually at that moment, he'll also fill you with the Spirit. Because I know uh, many people can attest, you know, when they get saved, they just feel joy. And they just feel just exuberant. And they want to go tell everybody that they see about, hey, I, got, I just got saved. God just saved me. I mean, it, and, and people are like, shut up. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> but, but I mean, that, that change in your life, I think, is an evidence of the filling of the Spirit so that happens. There is no second baptism. A second work of grace? Is that what you're asking? I'm so the, the yeah. No, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think that's a bad teaching. Um, I think it comes from uh, people honestly looking at the scriptures, mm-hmm. but they're, they're taking their experience and they're putting that on top of the scripture instead of taking their, the scripture and placing that on top of their experience. A- as Christians, we always, this comes first. Not, not a commentary about the Bible, not a book about the Bible, not a dictionary. The Word of God is central. And the Word of God should govern our thinking, our speaking, our, our doing, how we sleep, how we eat, everything. It's all governed by the Word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, now there are many believers, okay, that I think are wonderful believers. Craig Keener is one of them. I mean, 
Uh, Wayne Grudem is one of them. Um, but I think it's just a, a, a bad reading of scripture. Now you look, are you okay? No, I'm fine. Are, okay. Okay. Uh, I saw your eyes getting red. I was like, oh no, I'm hurting her feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Chris. Please. Right. Right. So you just have to make a distinction in your mind of I know that some people believe that, you know, there is like a, some sort of second work. Right. Right. But they need to make sure they understand that they do have the spirit at conversion. Right. right. And that there's no such thing as somebody who's saved but doesn't have the spirit. That's what would be very contrary to scripture. Yes. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of debate about, you know, second works of the spirit right after conversion, but what you must believe is that and, and I'll say on that point, I think uh, a lot of charismatics, who again, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll say at conversion, you get the spirit. But you don't receive the gifts. But you don't receive all of the spirit. You don't receive the gifts of the spirit or things like that. They'll make a caveat. And I would say amen. Um, I, I think uh, the, the Bible makes it clear that everyone receives at least one gift. And I think that you get that gift at conversion. You can uh, cultivate a gift. You can grow in your gifts. You can, um, th- and there's a gift, there's a difference between gifts and talents. Um, my wife is a, is a talented singer. You know, uh, Mr. Chris is a talented guitar player, but there's nowhere in the scripture where it says you have the gift, the spiritual gift of playing the guitar or the spiritual gift of singing or something like, you know, I'm a, I, I, I put apples on the, on the, on the thing for, with spiritual gifts. I don't do that. You know, it's just, it's, there are gifts that are talked about in the Bible. And Jesus, and I, I don't, I can't remember the scripture, but I found a scripture where Jesus lists miracles mm-hmm. and tongues was one of them. And I believe it's very abusive to tell somebody that, I believe we all can heal someone through the Spirit of God who mm-hmm. needs to be healed. But to tell everyone to obtain something of Christ, you have to perform a miracle, mm-hmm. or there has to be some yeah. physical act of a miracle. Uh, I believe that's abusing the gifts of God. Most, most definitely. I, I, think it, I think that's a very good insight. And, and I think that, that again, to be uh, a person who's going to say, if you don't do this, you're not a Christian, that's really a harsh statement that I, I can't see that validated in Scripture. As long as I put my trust in Christ... If, I, if you've done that, that's the only thing we have to do. We have to do. Because, again, Christ has done it all. And if you can say, yes, I, hey, but that faith, even that faith is not yours. That faith is given to you as a gift. Uh, that's Philippians 129. And so, uh, but Christ is going to do, Christ does everything. I mean, he's paid it all. Okay? Thank you so much. I'm sorry. No problem. No problem. No problem at all. Now, now I'm not going to get done with my lesson, but that's okay. That's okay. Okay? Um, uh, uh, Everybody turn to Matthew chapter uh, 3. Oh, we already had to turn there. I'm sorry. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And I'll actually read that, but I want to make a a point. Uh, After this initial break uh, with sin comes, the Holy Spirit brings uh, that he brings about uh, in our lives at conversion he produces in us growth and a holiness of life. He brings forth the fruit of the Spirit within us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and those are the qualities that are going to reflect the character of God. So let's everybody read with me as I read Galatians 
5, or Galatians 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But now here comes one of the greatest words in Scripture. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. That is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Okay? It talks about... All of those negative, terrible things that we do constantly, if you think about it, are not from God. They're from our flesh. You know, uh, I can think about, does anybody, okay, don't anybody put up your hands. You don't have to admit to this, but I'll tell you guys this. Uh, You know, when I'm at work and they do something at work that just kind of gets on my nerves, sometimes words and pictures start running through my mind, like running people over with lawnmowers and stuff like that, (laughs) you know, crazy stuff like that. But I know that's not from... That's not from the spirit of God. So, you know, what I do is I go away and I get a, and I say, Lord, you know, I'm sorry for that. And I just ask the Lord to fill me with your spirit. You know, just fill me, fill me up, Lord. I need it because at that moment I wasn't filled. So fill me up with your spirit. And when we're filled with the spirit, we get the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness. Those are wonderful qualities. As we uh, continue, as we are continually being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, we should be, be reminded that this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3, 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit, or the Lord who is the Spirit. Uh, Sanctification comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, so that it is, quote, in, in, in parentheses here, by the Spirit, that we are able to put to death the deeds of the body and grow in personal holiness. Uh, somebody, I need one person to turn to 2 Thessalonians. Who will turn to 2 Thessalonians? Mr. Juan, I need somebody to turn to 1 Peter 1. Mr. Wally, would you turn to 1 Peter 1? And I need somebody to read uh, Romans verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 12 through 16. Once, uh, Mr. Mr. Scott's got that. 8, 12 through 16. Mr. Juan, could you read 2 Thessalonians 2, 13? Sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. 
who's going to read First Peter 1, verse 2? Mr. Wally? According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And Mr. Scott, if you could read Romans 8, verses 12 through 16. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit produces purity in our lives. That's one of the things that he's going to do. And it is God's purpose to purify us. That's found in uh, Titus 2.14. And the Spirit is the agent of our sanctification, our purification. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 6.11. Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 6. And actually, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There are some people that believe that being uh, slain in the spirit, we were, this is kind of where we were just a minute ago, uh, is an integral part of the spirit's purifying work. Now that phrase being slain in the spirit is not in the Bible, but that's okay because the word Bible is not in the Bible. Okay. But so that's not a reason to, to reject it. Um, but people, they, 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 what will happen is if you guys ever turn on TBN or like the local charismatic station, the guy will be up there preaching and they'll smack somebody on the forehead and they'll fall back. Have you guys ever, everybody seen that? Yeah. Okay. Um, here's what I want to say about, about, about that. Uh, all modern day experiences should be tested and evaluated according to the scriptures first and then secondarily by what fruit it bears in the life of a Christian. So, uh, you know, whether it's false, whether it's true, I don't believe that it's true. Um, but however that plays out, um, I, I think the things that, to, that we should set in our mind are, okay, what does the scripture say? And then what is it producing in the lives of these people? You know, is, it, is getting slain in the spirit making them more holy, making them more like Christ? Are they, uh, in, the, in that list, are they more loving? Do they have more joy? Do they have more peace? Do they have more comfort? Are those things, is that, is that being produced in their life? A lot of times I would say no. But it, that's, that would be my test for the truthfulness of whether or not that experience is true. Yes, sir, Mr. Mike. Everybody turn to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. What verse? I'm sorry? The first verse. First John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I'm going to read verse 2. But this you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into flesh, is from God. 
And that's one, that's a test that you can know if, if they're, again, if they're not, if whatever they're doing is not bringing glory to Christ Jesus, if it's not praising Christ Jesus, there's a problem with whatever it is that they say they're doing that's biblical. That's going to be the issue that you guys are going to face. Uh, yes, ma'am. So what about churches that do do slay in the spirit and teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They do submit to Jesus Christ. How do, how do we know when certain teachings aren't from God? Do we just go back to Scripture? And even though yes. they do not submit to Christ, if they do not submit to Scripture, then, then do we know they're not submitting to Christ? Yes. I think, let me... You talk about the fruit. Does it make them pray the prosperity and the healing, or does it make them pray the Christ? I think Piper said that in his sermon, too. You know, if, you, if, if the focus of the healing, if the focus of the blessings are you know, monetary, if it makes them pray the prosperity instead of Christ, you really need to think through what's going on in those churches. And I think uh, you weren't here a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I read a passage. Um, um, now I can't remember what book it was from. But uh, it was talking about the fact that if whatever you're doing is not bringing praise to Christ Jesus, no matter who you're focusing on, if your focus is on, is on the Holy Spirit, but you're not giving honor and proper praise to Christ Jesus, that's an issue. If what you're doing, if, you, if you're bringing honor to God the Father, but you're not bringing honor and praise to Christ Jesus, that's a problem. But you can never give Christ Jesus enough praise. I mean, he is called the Lord Jesus Christ for a reason. I mean, he, again, it, it sounds redundant, but when I say he's done it all, he has done it all for us. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But some of those uh, people, you know, like on those stuff, they give glory to God. They'll say, hallelujah. Yeah. But the thing, there you go. I, I think you, you, guys will, you guys know about cults. You know, we've studied cults here in Sunday school. Cults will say, the Mormons will say, I believe in Jesus. Well, what Jesus? Uh, Muslims will say, I believe in Jesus. Well, what Jesus? So you can say something with your mouth. In, in vain, they, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So you, you, it's easy to, to say that you love Christ, but it, how you love Christ and the, the, the truthfulness of that fact is going to come out in your practice. Your words and your works are going to have to match up. Because again, like the people on, on TBN and stuff, I mean, when, when, you watch that sh- when you watch that show, I mean, I can't take it for more than like five minutes. And I just go absolutely bonkers. Because in that five minutes, there's going to be just terrible theology thrown out. So, y- you know, what they're saying, yeah, somebody will say hallelujah. But then the second, second second, they're saying, send me $50 or $100 and plant your seed. You know, so that's... It, it's going to balance out. You know, I, I think the people are, are nutty. Yes, ma'am. But the scriptures, they always twist the scriptures. Oh, yes. So that's the bottom line. Yes, ma'am. And they're not preaching the truth, period. You see that the scriptures are always twisted, so there's theologies all twisted. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, we don't have time, but I got a wonderful story about that happening. It's just, yo. But so um, that's, that's the first point. The Holy Spirit is going to be a purifying influence in our life. He's going to be the one who purifies us. Now, I have like 10 minutes to do like four pages of notes. <laughs> so we're going to try and try to get through it. So uh, the second thing is the spirit, the spirit, he's going to unify us. And I, I think I can get through this pretty good. Turn to Acts 2. Acts 2, verses 16 through 18. I'm going to read that. Um, the promise of the Spirit, and, and, and this is the, the promise of the Spirit in the scope of his work. Excuse me. We're going to, actually, I'm going to start at verse 14. 
Uh, But Peter, taking the stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this was what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall come, it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon on all mankind and and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Uh, There is an emphasis on the Holy Spirit uh, coming on the community of believers, Um, sons, daughters, uh, old men, young men, men servants, maid servants, Everybody is going to receive um, the, the spirit at, at this time. But there's, a, there's also an aspect of the already, not yet. Um, has, I can't remember if we've talked about that in Sunday school. I know it's something that Pastor Emilio mentions. Do y'all understand what I mean when I say already, not yet? Does everybody understand? Uh, if you don't understand, please raise your hand. I don't want you to be lost. Okay. Uh, l- I'll just, let me just say this. There's an there's a aspect to, like I said, that our salvation is now, but our salvation is also a future. That's an already, not yet. Um, there's an there's a aspect of things that happen to us a- as we live our lives, but there's also an aspect of things that are going to happen at a future time. And that's kind of what I mean by already, not yet. Um, remember that the apostle is using these, these couplets as a, a circumlocution, and that's just saying something with many words that you could say with a few words, because you know, all, all Peter had to do was stand up and say, God's going to save everybody, and everybody's going to get the Spirit. But he didn't say that. He went through an Old Testament quote, which was uh, the basis for his theology. Um, and, but uh, this is done to show us that God means that all people, top to bottom, left to right, um, in and out, or will one day receive the Spirit. And many people on this day received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the event at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit created uh, this new community called the New Testament Church. Now, I, I had an issue um, with actually how Grudem phrases it in his, uh, uh, in, his, in his systematic theology, and I called Pastor Emilio, I texted Pastor Emilio, and I, and I agree with Pastor Emilio, and I think it's a better way to say it, that it's, it's the new community is the New Testament Church, and, and we'll say that and, instead of the way that Grudem put it, because I think if you say that the new uh, entity is the church, period, that leaves a little bit of, of ambiguity because there's also, you see uh, quotes in the New Testament about the church being in the Old Testament. So there's, there's I just wanted to clear that up. John, yes? I think that is, a, I'm kind of glad you went to that text yeah. first for like the unifying, because you see the significance of, look how God used languages to, to disunify, right. like with the Tower of Babel. Right. And there's a, a, a lot of people and actually uh, a lot of good theologians will point that out in their commentaries about what's going on here in, in the book of Acts. They'll say things like, hey, at, at the Tower of Babel, God did this. He dispersed the nations out. But this, through his work of the Spirit here, we can see that he's bringing everybody back together through this gift of uh, speaking in tongues, bringing his Spirit on people. That's going to draw everybody together and unify the whole world. And I, and I, I can say I, I agree with that. That's, it's, that's a, a good, very good observation. Um, turn to Acts 2, uh, 44 through 47. Just a few verses over. The Bible says this. And all those who had believed 
were together and had all things in common. Now, Chris, I think you preached on this passage not too long ago, didn't you? Um, you guys go back and listen to that sermon because it's fantastic. And they began selling their property and possessions and, they, and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were willing to be saved. I mean, that's the fruit of the, the, the fruit of what comes from the, the Spirit's coming on the day of Pentecost is he's going to cause us to want to dwell together, to want to be together, to want to hang out together. I mean, one of the things that I can say that I love about this church is the fact that we do fellowship. Um, you know, I can, I'll, I'll say at my church back home in Atlanta, I love them dearly, but church is over. You know, we say the benediction and 15 minutes later, if you can find anybody in that church other than people cleaning up the floors, I'd be surprised, you know, but here you guys will hang out for hours and hours. You know, the sun's coming up on the next day and y'all are still having theological conversations. And that's beautiful. And that's what the body of Christ should be, because guess what? That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. We're going to be talking about things up, 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 up in heaven. Um, there is a unifying work to the spirit that goes beyond what is ordinary. The spirit will not rest until God's people are brought into fellowship with one another. And this is vital for the life of a believer. Now, I want to say something. A Christian that does not fellowship with other Christians is a Christian that is in danger. Okay? A Christian that does not fellowship with other Christians is in danger for his soul. Paul is seeking to unify the Corinthian believers through the fellowship of the Spirit when he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, what's significant about that particular verse is if you if you read it and you go into the original language, the emphasis is not on the father or the son, but the emphasis is actually on the spirit um, uh, being the one that is going to bring this fellowship. And again, that is a, a statement showing his unifying work. Now, the the word for unifying or fellowship, I should say. We'll try it again. Okay, I'm just going to make a K. Okay, so y'all understand. I, and then, doop, going to need, uh, all right, it's koinonia in the Greek language. Um, again, if y'all can't understand that, just ask for the gift of discernment and, and translation. You will understand my <laughs> writing in tongues. So, but that's a different issue. Um, the word simply means fellowship, association, community, communion, participation, and it also describes the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. Uh, Paul uses the word here to emphasize uh, that he hoped an increased fellowship between the Corinthians would develop through the Spirit and manifest the love that is wrought by the Spirit for one another. Any questions or any comments? Okay, we've got about five minutes left and I got like a page and a half, so let's try to work through it. Um, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any 
affection and compassion. Make my joy complete being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So right here we see in verse one, any fellowship of the spirit. Um, In a similar way, we can see that Paul emphasizes the new unity between Jews and Gentiles in the church when he says, through him, we both have access. Uh, And the word here is the word, the, the Greek word in, and it's translated in with or by. So it, it, you can, it's kind of hard to figure out which one to use here, but in with or by one spirit to the Father and says that, the Lord, uh, that in the Lord they are built into one new house of God in the spirit. That's in Ephesians 2.2, 2, and the first one was Ephesians 2.18. When he wants to remind them of the unity that they have, he exhorts Christians to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 4, says, or 1 through 6, excuse me. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, sowing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's the, if you didn't get the, 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 the emphasis there is on there's one spirit, and it's going to be the, the spirit that is just going to draw us together in the bonds of peace. Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts. Now we're going to. Oh, got five minutes um, of spiritual gifts also repeats the same kind of unifying work uh, that the Holy Spirit does. Everybody turn to to first Corinthians 12 if you're not there already. Now, what I want to say about this is, whereas we might think that people who have different gifts, OK, we uh, in, in the human world, you know, on your job, if somebody's really gifted and they've got a lot of gifts for doing that, uh, for doing this and doing that, um, you might, it might cause you to pull apart. But Paul's emphasis, and I think, he, I think Rudim is dead on, I think Paul's emphasis on the gifts is that it's, it should make us closer. It should draw us together as one. Um, the whole chapter is really good. And if you have time, read verses 11 through 28. But what I'll say is this. These differing gifts, Paul tells us, are empowered by one and the same spirit who, appro- who, uh, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 11. So that in the church, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. In fact, by one spirit, where we, uh, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink in one spirit. That's 12, 13. So um, it's easy to see that, again, as you read that chapter and as you read through that chapter, he's going to talk about each and all and every over and over and over again. It's going to be a call uh, to all of this. um, I was warned not to say all of this and stuff and things like that. So I'm trying not to say all of this and stuff. Um, uh, It's a it's a call to be aware of what the spirit is doing in activity through those people. Um, and what he's going to cause to happen to them. They're going to be drawn together by the Spirit and what, what the Spirit is going to do through them. In 1 Corinthians 12, 21, it says, 
and I cannot say to a hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So what, what we're saying here, what, what Paul is emphasizing is, look, if you're in the body of Christ and you have the spirit of God in you, the body, the local body and the church universal, we need you. So don't be a, a cowboy Christian over there on your own doing your own thing. Be a Christian that's in community with other people. And it's, it's hard and it's rough and it's, it's, a, it's a grind sometimes and people rub you the wrong way. But guess what? You need that and I need that. Because if I've got issues in my character that are, that are not right, if I speak to people in a rough way, if I'm not talking to my wife in a loving way, if, I, if I'm beating my kids up and down the church for anything that they do, I need somebody to pull me aside and say, hey, brother, you know, you might want to check this. You might want to watch that. And, and if somebody does it to you at the church, don't be offended. Don't leave. Think about what they're saying. Is it true? That might be something that uh, God is trying to, to show you and help you with. Uh, turn to Galatians chapter five, and we're going to try to end. Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 26. It's a long passage, but I want to read it um, and just understand the interplay that the spirit is playing as we're in this passage, just what the spirit is doing and how the spirit is doing it. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things of, uh, like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, um, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying one another. Again, that's the call, not to be boastful, not to be braggadocious, not to envy one another, but if we're walking by the Spirit, and that is just day by day, putting one foot in front of the, the, uh, the next, slowly, patiently, and persistently pursuing your walk with God every day. There's it, the, one of the issues that I think our charismatic brothers have wrong is with the second work of grace. They think it's you do something and instantly you're sanctified all the way. I don't think that God works like that. You get saved. And yes, you're sanctified positionally. You're sanctified in the heavens. But you got to walk your sanctification out day by day, moment by moment, issue by issue. As one, when you get rid of one thing, God's going to bring something else to your remembrance. And when you get rid of that thing, God's going to bring another thing to your remembrance. And again, that's why I think Paul, I mean, I think the more you go along in your Christian life, Paul could probably say what we would consider to be the smallest, minutest sin. He can say, I'm the chief sinner. Not that he was the chief sinner. He says, I am the chief sinner. And so that's, just, that's an amazing uh, thing for Paul to just say to me. Uh, we can see the evidence of the Spirit's unifying work found in this section. Uh, these, these strifes and all of those things that are going on, dissensions and factions, they are not works that the Spirit produces. But in verse 18, we are told to be led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, it says that we are to be living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit.
Uh, it is this kind of love for one another that produces the effects of binding all things together in love. That's in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15. We don't have time to read it. Grudem says this as an end. He says, therefore, when the Holy Spirit is working strongly in a church to manifest God's presence, one evidence of that work will be a beautiful harmony in the church community and the overflowing love for one another. And I think he's right there. I think if, again, Jesus says one, one new commandment I give to you that you love one another. I think if we uh, take that word love and we actually understand what it means to one another, uh, we'll be practicing biblical community, biblical, uh, uh, biblically walking in the spirit, biblically being led by the spirit. If we can do that one thing, we'll be well ahead of the game. So this week we covered the purifying and the unifying work of the spirit of God. Uh, these two aspects tie into the main thrust of the chapter, which is the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. Let's pray and then I'm going to get you out. Did anybody know? Did I pray before we started? Nope. Got to pray when we, before we end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, our time together. I thank you for uh, applying this lesson to uh, my brothers and sisters' hearts and to my heart. Lord, we just ask that you would um, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us be led by the Spirit. Let us be people who are um, open to what the Spirit is going to do in us, through us, and to us. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do uh, through the preaching today. And we look forward to our koinonia, our fellowship that comes after church. Lord, we love you. We give you all praise, honor, and glory in Christ Jesus' name. And all God's people said,